Hi, I'm Mark Goldgrub, and today I'm in Sophie Land. Hi, Mark. Welcome to Sophie Land. I'm Sophie, your tour guide. So, Mark, you are a lawyer. So I've heard. Can you elaborate on what kind of law it is that you work in? I run a law firm uh, in Toronto called Green Economy Law with a focus on sustainability, psychedelics, and housing. So I work with green businesses and nonprofits. I work with parties active in the psychedelic space, businesses, nonprofits, practitioners, and I help people with housing issues. Awesome. Good stuff. Always important in this city. There's a lot of demand for housing work. That's yeah. I didn't want to do housing. Housing just kind of sucked me in, and now I do housing. You also own the website, psychedeliclaw.ca. I do. Best idea I ever had was buying that domain, yes. Yeah, it's a good site. I get a lot of information from there. I'm um, glad you, you find and I it useful. Have- contact have connected in the past. You were my source for a few stories when uh-huh. I was writing about the Canadian mushroom dispensary scene, which I still am writing about. You provided me a lot of nuggets of information. And I was hoping we could talk more about that today. Let's talk about it. Let's okay. do it. Okay. How many, have you been to the dispensaries in yes, Toronto? I have. I haven't purchased from them, but I've been there. I've talked to them. Yeah. Do you think that people that work there are educated on the risks of no. working in the dispensaries? Based on my experience, I haven't been to every single one. Right, right, right. So I don't want to paint them all with a broad brush. I think there's at least 11 now. Maybe you're, you're keeping track. I'm keeping track, but yeah, that was one of my questions. Like, how many do you think there are? There's for sure over 10. And a lot of them are not just in Toronto, right? Like, there's so many all across Ontario. But I think there's... When I wrote about this subject for Psychedelic Spotlight, and I looked at your list, I counted 11 just in Toronto proper. Yeah. I don't know if that's still the case, but that's I believe that's what I counted. And I've probably been into three of them and like actually gone in and talked to the people working there. And just to kind of poke around and say, uh, I would say to them, I'd say, tell me, uh, is this legal? And they would all tell me, it's a gray zone. And really? I would, and I would say, who told you it's a gray zone? And, you know, we would get into it a little bit. And, yeah, it was a little shocking what I heard from people. One of the guys uh, on Queen West, although, but that could, there's a, one, like the one in Parkdale, actually. Well, there's more than one in Parkdale. Let's just say uh, one on Queen West, let's call it Parkdale area. I went in and I was like, how did you get this job? And the guy's like, indeed. And it sounded not uh, the most impressive. It didn't uh, make me feel like... Uh, I have not gotten the sense from talking to the people working in these shops that they're kind of being taken care of to the extent that I might want in a considering that the work they're doing is precarious. Right. So you think, do you think they knew, like, did you tell them that it wasn't a gray zone? Did you tell them that it was illegal? Were they shocked? One of them, one of them, I maybe said, like, uh, you might want to double check the legal status of it or something like that. Why do you think, like, where do you think people are getting the information that it's a gray zone? Like, why do you think they think that? From because Is everybody it because else. they're just seeing the shops everywhere? No, I think, I think even before the shops, a lot of people were really confused about the status of psilocybin. And I think it's kind of like, it was like pre-shops within the psychedelic scene, a lot of people were saying it's a gray zone and I don't know who started it or whatever, or I don't know. I don't know where it came from, but I was hearing it well before the shop started opening up around Toronto and it's wrong. Uh, As I have said many times, it's wrong. I think... 
people get confused about a lot of legal stuff. Like I hear people call things loopholes that aren't loopholes. They're just the law. Um, <laughs> I think there's just a lot of confusion all over the place. And with psychedelics, like there are some things that are confusing. There are things that kind of fall in weird areas of the law that people have, uh, understandably have difficulty understanding. Right. Psilocybin is not really one of those things. In Canada, it's like totally 100% illegal. Okay. Now, so clearly very illegal. Very illegal, but then there's the question of enforcement. Okay how illegal is something if the law that pertains to it is simply not enforced or is inconsistently enforced. Right. So that makes it more understandable why people would say it's in a gray area, but it's not. It's completely illegal, but enforcement is very inconsistent, which leads people to get confused, which is another problem I have with the dispensaries, that it's sort of like their existence creates more confusion and their signage... And telling people it's a gray zone, uh, it kind of just creates more and more confusion. The inconsistency in the law is kind of a larger problem. I think uh, the law should be predictable. It should be understandable for people. That's kind of how law is ideally supposed to function. When people don't understand the law or confused about the law, it creates problems where people can get into trouble for things they didn't think that they were going to get into trouble over. And like I've had people emailing me saying, help, I just got arrested for this thing. I didn't realize it was illegal. And I'm like, I'm not a criminal lawyer. And I actually put a page on psychedeliclaw.ca, criminal lawyers, because people were contacting me like that. And I was like, look, you got to talk to a criminal lawyer. So now I can say we have some on the website if you need. Yeah, that you can recommend. Do you think that more shops like this are going to open up across Canada in the next five to ten years? Yeah, unless there's some kind of change in enforcement policy, um, I think 100% more shops will open up. How many do you think? Like, based on the kind of patterns that we're seeing in Toronto, like, we know that Fungi's the chain is opening up quite a few all across Ontario. My understanding is they're either planning to or have already expanded to Montreal. Well, I'm kind of wondering, like, you know... I would, I, <laughs> have you like sat down and talked like numbers with these guys? Yeah, I have talked numbers with like a few people in the space and I don't know if they make sense to me. Because I'm thinking, well, I guess commercial real estate is down, but that's mostly office space. Like storefronts, I don't think is cheaper in Toronto. I think that's still pretty expensive. Storefront is like at least like you're looking at at least like six thousand a month rent on Queen West for sure. It's like over ten grand. I would imagine so. So you're talking some pretty expensive rent. Then you got to pay your employees. You're not selling this stuff for a ton. People are not, I'm not, I don't know, maybe some people are buying it to microdose every day, but I'm just thinking like, how many stores can you have? How much profit can there be? And then there's the legal questions. And it's sort of like, at some point, there's kind of two possibilities. One, like the the financial situation just doesn't make sense. And you hit like a kind of supply-demand equilibrium where it doesn't make sense to open more, at least within certain areas, right. versus, and then there's also the possibility of a backlash. and mm, Like socially? Um, no, uh, I mean, maybe, but uh, in terms of like law enforcement, oh, like right. I, I contacted Toronto police and I said, just can you explain what your policy is? And of course they 
gave me uh, the most ambiguous answer mm-hmm. possible, uh, which is pretty typical of Toronto police. Big shout out to Toronto police for those <laughs> ambiguous answers. Shout out to Toronto police for never answering a question keep it, straight. Keeping us guessing. Keeping, keeping us, us guessing. Toes. Keeping us guessing. You know, they just like to keep us guessing. The mystery. You know, law enforcement's really about the mystery, right? Yeah, I want uh, to wonder if what I'm doing is. Am I going to get arrested? Am I not going to get arrested? And then you if know, I do get mystery. arrested, what happens? Like that's I what makes know. it fun. Yeah, right? that's it just really, not like, knowing if you're going to go to prison or not. No, I do. Um, I do wonder about that. Like mushrooms are not like cannabis. Like you cannot, you are not doing shrooms every day. Like you can be microdosing every day, sure. But like, so there are people that you know. The reason that the cannabis industry is so huge is because people buy, people can smoke a lot of weed every day. And people cannot do a lot of shrooms every day. And so your regulars, and whenever I talk to people that work in the stores, like their regulars are not coming in every day. They're not even coming in every week. They're coming in like once a month. And it's just not, it just doesn't feel like you're ma- going to be making that much money unless you expand or like to only selling microdosing stuff. Like I really do wonder how you can afford to open up all these stores in these high traffic areas. What is the profit and hire all the staff, right? Yeah. And I mean, yeah, uh, the financial side of it, frankly, I've thought about it. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but definitely like it's hard for me to kind of say, oh, yeah, they'll just keep opening up because this is perfectly financially sensible. One thing I did write about was that in Vancouver, um, the Coca Leaf Cafe, Dana Larson store, is now selling way more than just psilocybin. Right. But actually, I interviewed Dana Larson for an interview a while ago. Well, for an interview. And this is in the article that I was also in. Yeah. And yeah. he also told me that he could theoretically stop selling everything except psilocybin and the psilocybin and it would still really? be more than enough. Interesting. So, but yeah, they sell a lot of stuff. They're selling the coca leaf, obviously. They're selling the DMT pens. I was on the website. They're selling 5MEO pens now, peyote. I was, I was there two weeks ago. Nice. I had, I, I had to do pilgrimage. I had to go and I walked uh, across the worst of East Hastings to get there. It was a little, bit like, <laughs> it was a little bit like Dante's uh, you know, journey through the Inferno to reach. And actually, when you get to the coca leaf cafe, like it's actually a... Area that gets significantly nicer. Like all of a sudden, it's like the area is kind of a lot nicer. And um, and yeah, it was a interesting journey to get there, an interesting thing to see. And I definitely have thought about like it. Kind of makes sense to me that people are gonna see what else they can get away with. I think that's what happened in Vancouver when that guy opened the drugstore and yeah. he was selling uh, cocaine, heroin. I think opioids and MDMA and he was saying that he, he just wanted to go yeah. save supply and uh, and they shut him down the next day Yeah, and uh, I think like it makes sense that if people say alright I'm getting away with psilocybin let's try selling you know other things and see what happens which is also not kind of how you want things to proceed where people are just kind of testing the waters and you know if it works out it works out if it doesn't you could go to prison like that's not like a great situation to be in um, in terms of jurisprudence and uh, having a respectable legal system. I think that guy that opened up the drugstore was not even doing it to like be a drug dealer with a store. I think he was doing it as like a form of protest, like guerrilla activism, which is what a lot of these shroomsters are saying in their media interviews as well. They're always like, this is our form of protest. It's kind of like, you know, look, I... Maybe they all believe it. Maybe some of them believe it. Maybe some of them are cloaking themselves in the mantle of uh, righteousness. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I actually, I don't know them. You you talk to them, I understand, uh, directly, but I, I haven't. They, yeah. they call me. They call me and they ask me if I'll represent them. 
I don't, you know, some people have called me a number and said, I want to open up a shroom store and I need legal representation. And I tell them, I, I'm sorry, I cannot help you. What you're doing is illegal. Um, but uh, my, yeah, my conversations with them don't go beyond that. Yeah, there's, uh, I mean, Paul Lewin seems to be the main guy that everybody goes to to represent themselves. So I've heard. Uh, to represent them for the shroom shops. So what's your advice for somebody who wants to open up a shroom store? My, well, I can't give you He's legal like, advice because, because uh, <laughs> I mean, my legal advice is what you want to do is illegal. And if you do it, you are definitely taking a risk. And uh, yeah, I would not provide kind of any advice beyond that other than to say... Uh, it's a bit of a sort of Damocles situation. You're at any point, uh, you could be charged with a crime or those who work for you. Yeah. If a customer is in the shop when a raid happens, mm-hmm. is the customer at risk of being arrested? Like if somebody's just browsing, because as you know, like you go to the stores, the product is not on display. Everything is like behind and you ask for it and they give it to you. Um, I would have to do a little bit of kind of like maybe guesswork or let me put it this way. My understanding from talking to people in the scene, including criminal lawyers, mm-hmm. is that there's not a lot of interest in charging anybody with possession at this time. That doesn't mean that nobody will be charged with possession, especially if you're kind of doing something else and you get busted for that and they find a big bag of shrooms in your car, uh, you could totally be busted for possession in a situation like that. But from what I've heard, Mm -hmm. uh, there's not a lot of interest in going after people for possession of psilocybin. Um, But technically, possession of psilocybin is a criminal offense under the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. I have a question for you. Can you bust this myth for me? Or, or confirm Let's it. Let's bust rather. the myth. What's the myth? Okay, Let's bust so it. When I was young, mm-hmm. er, like, do you remember going to head shops and they'd be selling shroom kits and stuff? They still do. They still do, yeah. So, okay, I was told this, that in Canada, it mushrooms only become illegal when it's the dried mushroom. And oh. if you're just growing them yourself when you have wet psilocybin mushrooms, it is totally fine. True or false? My reading of the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act is that that is false. Um, ah. Because there's a provision of the law which says, like, anything that can be used to produce a controlled substance is a controlled substance. It like falls within the definition. And I have written this on psychedeliclaw.ca. So it seems like even police might be under the impression that they're legal. So hopefully they're not listening and being like, what? Like, uh, hopefully I haven't busted more than the myth here. But uh, my reading of the law is that that would be legal. Illegal. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So any high school kids out there believing the same things as me? Now you know that it is not true. I've actually heard from people who have owned mushroom shops in Toronto that when the police come to raid them, they recognize them as being customers of previous days, like when they're off duty. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Do you think that psilocybin will become legal in Canada in the next like five years, or do you think this is like a much longer battle than we're anticipating? Depends on a lot of things. Um in terms of becoming legal like in Oregon or Colorado soon, I think that's absolutely possible. There is a charter constitutional, um, I say constitutional in cases Americans listening or something who are wondering what are you talking about charter, Um, but basically there's a constitutional lawsuit in Canada for medical access to psilocybin through an individualized system where you basically go to a doctor, say, I'm dealing with near-death anxiety or treatment-resistant depression or something like that, and the doctor can get you psilocybin. Right now, a doctor can fill out a form to ask Health Canada 
to uh, grant you access through the special access program. Um, but it has to go through Health Canada. Yeah. And I'm sure you're aware that there still has had a lot of issues uh, just getting Health Canada to, in many cases, act kind of reasonably around this, where they're like, you have to try every other treatment under the sun, no matter how ridiculous, uh, before we're going to allow you to do the mushrooms you can just go on to Queen West and buy. Um, so yeah, the this lawsuit is ongoing right now. Yeah, that's the Theracil. The, that's Theracil is supporting it. They're not actually a party in it, but they're supporting it. Yeah, okay. And if that is successful, which I think there's absolutely a reasonable likelihood that it will be, mm-hmm. based on the fact that we had a similar lawsuit which gave us medical cannabis in Canada back in 2001. Um, I think it's a. Uh, if that lawsuit is successful, then it can be appealed to an appellate court, like a federal appellate court, or the Supreme Court of Canada. With medical cannabis, they didn't appeal it to the Supreme Court. It stopped at the Ontario Court of Appeal. Uh, so, you know, it could be appealed, and that could lengthen the situation, or they could say, good enough, if, if it's like at the federal court or whatever, uh, not appeal it. So this is kind of one of the factors. But basically, let me put it this way. If okay. that case is successful, mm-hmm. whatever that kind of ends up meaning, um, but if that case is successful, then I think that the federal government could say, okay, the courts are forcing us to legalize this. What can you do? And they will probably create a medical program similar to what we see in Oregon and Colorado. I was at Catalyst Conference in Kingston like last year or so, mm-hmm. and I ended up speaking to somebody from Health Canada who was at Copper uh, Copper Branch in uh, Kingston. Oh, yeah. yeah, I order from there sometimes. Yeah, I would say if you go to the psychedelic uh, conference, go to the vegan restaurant. It's a good place to meet people. Uh, so I met a... I, ran and well kind of randomly met somebody from health canada and was like i have a lot of questions for you and they told me that they at the time were talking to oregon about what they were doing in oregon to to kind of mimic the framework or get inspiration i think that's the idea i mean in law it's sort of like we're all lazy and if somebody has created a legal framework for something legislation same we do the same thing with contracts it's all about taking that template, saying, what do we agree with? What do we not agree with? And then implementing it in your own system. So I think... Great artists steal. <laughs> and great lawyers too, apparently. Or not so great lawyers. But um, yeah, I think that's not unlikely at all that we could see something like that in the next five years. Depends on what happens with this court case. So interesting. I think that is what the government is waiting for. This is my theory. Um, Spencer from Theracil, I think we're on the same page on this, that it's sort of like the federal government is like, look, we got this court case. Why are we going to like get ahead of it and put our political necks on the line if the court could just decide it for us? And then come next election, we say, look, we are not the ones legalizing psychedelics. The courts are the ones legalizing, you know, psychedelics. So if you got an issue, take it up with them. We're just doing what the court told us to do. I think that's the plan. Mm -hmm. I spoke to Elizabeth May about this. She said maybe. She's not sure either uh, to the extent that Elizabeth May would know considering she's not in the federal government or the ruling federal government, I should say. Um, But she does seem to have a good sense of what's going on. Uh, By the way, she was really nice to me. Uh, Really, um, yeah, really, uh, we uh, had a nice, uh, surprisingly long conversation in Ottawa when I was there with Therosol doing some uh, activism stuff. Nice, yeah. Big shout out to Therosol doing good stuff. Big shout out to Therosol. Big shout out to Therosol. They basically pushed Canada to, you know, 
all the progress we've seen in terms of psychedelic yeah. legalization here, uh, Therosil probably deserves 95% of the credit for that. 100%. Uh, okay, last question, then I will let you go and sure. do work. Sure, sure. So if we see the medical side legalized, how much longer do you think until stores, like the ones we're seeing now, are like operating fully legally? Like regular stores for recreational consumption, like I can go in and like I can buy a government approved product of like mushroom chocolate. Like, do you, do you even, like, envision that in the future? Because I uh, actually have a hard time seeing that future for Canada. I totally envision that, actually. Um, it, could be, it could be sooner than we think. Um, right now, it seems, like, very far away because I think that we're going to see a lot of medical stuff probably before we see totally, that. Totally, totally. Unless maybe, you know, things can sometimes kind of accelerate, surprisingly. I remember in 2011, I had a roommate who was a total stoner. Right. And he voted for Harper in the 2011 federal election. And I said, why would you vote for Harper? This guy, like, almost single-handedly prevented us from decriminalizing, legalizing weed. When he came in, like, all the progress on this that we were doing in Canada, which was pretty exciting at the time, uh, completely stopped. And... Uh, my roommate said, this is 2011, he said, listen, legal cannabis is never going to happen. Yeah. It's never going to happen, okay? It is a pipe dream. It will never happen. And, and here we are. four years later, Trudeau was elected on a platform of legalizing cannabis. So, you know, what can seem unimaginable, even to potheads who can imagine a lot of things, <laughs> uh, what can seem unimaginable one year, a couple years later, can be completely unremarkable. What a positive note to end the show on. Any final words? No. No. Uh, I guess... Uh, know the law. Self-promo? Should I be doing... Yes, self-promotion. This is the time for the self-promo? Yes, yes. Where uh, can we find you? you yeah. What client should contact <laughs> you? <laughs> Not if I open up a shroom store, but if I do yeah, something else? Yeah, <laughs> I, I would love to work with the shroom stores if the if they would be able to operate legally. Um, but if you're doing stuff in psychedelics and you're doing it legally, uh, or you want to be doing it legally, then, or you're not sure if what you're doing is legal or not, uh, you can definitely hit me up at mg at, uh, like my initials, mg at greeneconomylaw.com. You can learn more about me at greeneconomylaw.com or psychedeliclaw.ca, which I like to think is the closest thing we have to an encyclopedia of or a textbook of Canadian psychedelic law. It's a great resource. And I am active every day on LinkedIn and only on LinkedIn. Nice. Yeah. The best social media right now. I miss Tumblr. Um, would you be active on that if you... If I was back in the day. I nice. was active on I, I like to imagine that we would all still be active It had a good culture. It had a good yeah. kind of vibe. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot, too. All right, well, Mark, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks I'm so sorry me. that you spilled ratio on yourself. It's my fault. You didn't force me to. I did it uh, I know, completely but I feel like the conversation was just so exciting. That's, <laughs> yeah. Please apologize for your interesting conversation. All right, thank you. No Thank you so much for listening to Sophie Land. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you to Mark for being on the show, and thank you more for all the audio editing and recording. To stay in touch and find more of my work, you can subscribe to my newsletter, Sophie Land, on Substack, or find me on Instagram at Sophie Does Everything, which for now are my two main containers for sharing my work. Again, thanks for listening. I hope you liked it, and I hope to catch you in the next episode. Bye!